celebrating these readings. Um, New Reformed Baptist House of Study at Union Presbyterian Seminary. B, BHS at UPCM, as we fondly call it, has come about through a partnership between CBF Virginia, CBF Global, and Union Presbyterian Seminary. So our Baptist students here in Virginia can receive an outstanding theological education in a residential setting. We currently have 23 Baptist students who are thrilled to have this option presented to them and who are really excited to begin taking their classes in the fall. If you have any questions, I would love to tell you more. Just come and ask, and I'll be happy to share my enthusiasm with you after the service. But in the meantime, I'm excited to be with you today, and I'm thankful for Bob's invitation to be here to share with you during this worship service. A few years ago, an interesting email came my way. It was titled, Weird Little Things You Don't Really Need to Know. And a few of these weird little things have stuck with me all these years later. Did you know that Walt Disney was actually afraid of mice? Or the duck's quack doesn't echo, and no one knows why. Donkeys actually kill more people annually than plane crashes. And American car horns beep in the tone of F. One of the most fascinating to me is that American Airlines saved $40,000 in 1987 just by eliminating one olive from their salads in first class. Isn't that crazy? You might be interested to know that between the ages of 30 and 70, your nose might still grow half an inch. Between the black and the white stripes on a zebra, there's a yellowish-brown stripe. And between Christmas and Valentine's Day, 50% of all singles consider changing their relationship status. This word between is used to indicate a middle point, a place that's halfway, a place that's transitional. We all know people who are between jobs, ministers who are between churches, and friends who are between relationships. As the scene opens on our scripture passage this morning, we find the psalmist David is also in a between place, for he, like us, is on a spiritual journey, one that has had a beginning but has not yet come to its end. And as we have all experienced on most journeys, struggles to be found in the midst of the pilgrimage. For those of us who have grown up attending church, we've heard the stories of David since we were children. Many of us remember in Sunday school learning of the young shepherd boy who took lunch to his brothers and ended up defeating the giant Goliath with just a few stones and a slingshot. We then learned that this young man would go on to become king with our Sunday school teachers encouraging us that God can indeed do amazing things through our lives, even when we're young. For those of you here who did not grow up attending church, maybe you've more recently learned the stories of David through riveting sermons or Bible studies centered on First and Second Samuel. 
we've come to learn that Hollywood's life oftentimes reads like a blockbuster adventure movie, complete with thrills, deceit, battles, forbidden love, politics, struggles, and victories. While David was God's chosen leader, we can clearly see through the retelling of his life adventures that he still struggled and oftentimes fell short because of the sin that crept into his life. The biblical authors who tell David's story in First and Second Samuel do an amazing job of bringing out the details of his life journey. Yet, one aspect seems to be missing. David's thoughts and internal struggles. See, thankfully, we have some of the Psalms to give us insight into what David contemplated and with what he grappled. Our scripture passage this morning is one such psalm. And as we peek in on the beginning of Psalm 27, we find David seemingly confident in his life. Robin Branch, in Feasting of the Word, says it's as if David has placed a chair opposite of himself and is having a conversation. Because the Lord is the light and the salvation, he says, who should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? The empty chair, of course, doesn't respond. So David continues talking about his life. He goes on to say there are evil ways, adversaries, and foes. Yeah, he is confident because he knows they will stumble and they will fall. Even though armies and wars rise up against him, his trust does not wane. How does one have such trust in God? Christy Wright, the author of Living Truth, just one crucial way of building such a trust is to remember the times in your life when God has been faithful. Our Lenten journey may just be the perfect time to add this discipline. Instead of giving up something, what if we made it a practice to add something, a time of reflection and remembering each day, an opportunity to compose a list, a list of the many times God has been faithful in our lives in order to strengthen our trust. As I read this psalm more clearly, I wonder if David is making such a list. He recites the Lord's characteristics, and he personalizes them by saying, The Lord is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life, my helper. He keeps me safe in the days of trouble. He hides me under his tent, and he is full of goodness. So see, this isn't about doctrine. It's about the truth of what we have known. It's grounded in our experience. Think about the real mystery for all the pain and grace we have lived through in our relationship with God. David seems to choose not to fear, and he channels his energy toward trust, even when he knows evil is present and trouble awaits him. It's as if his confidence grows as he speaks, reciting the wonderful attributes of the God he knows and loves. By the time we reach verse 4, David is truly having a mountaintop experience. He 
his feasts or his wishes to live in the house of the Lord, to seek God and his temple, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of his life. Doesn't that sound just lovely? Have you too had such a mountaintop experience along the way? Times in your life when you feel so close to God and all seems right in the world. Henry Nouwen says it happens when we experience complete unity within and around us so that we find ourselves saying, this is it. Everything fits together. It's all I have ever hoped for right here. Did you know the expression mountaintop experience in our English language actually originated from the Bible? It came about because God had so many meaningful relationships and experiences with his people on mountaintops. You may remember the stories. God interacted on Mount Ararat, Mount Sinai, Mount Carmel, the Mount of Olives, and Mount Zion. Now I know, it would be wonderful to be able to stay up on the mountain with God, right? But God usually gives mountaintop experiences in order to sustain his people as they go back down into the valley. See, Revelation is always intended to help us journey with him more closely on that road that lies ahead. And so it makes sense to me that David, too, will soon be coming down from this mountaintop experience in Psalm 27. But sure enough, as we continue to read, just three verses later, David's tone changes. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject or forsake me. Suddenly, in the midst of David's confidence in his relationship with God, he seems to feel that God is no longer listening to him and answering his prayers. He feels God is playing hide and seek, so to speak, and he might possibly be angry with him, feeling as if God is rejecting or forsaking him. This change in David's demeanor is so drastic, it's led some scholars to believe that two different psalms were actually transcribed, and it's this later portion that's from another time in David's life. Other scholars, however, believe this is indeed just one psalm, and it gives us an example of how the faith journey ebbs and flows, dances back and forth between fear and trust, which I think is an accurate representation of what our spiritual pilgrimage is like. What do you say? Mother Teresa's memoirs confirm that faithful people do indeed walk through times of dark, dread and doubt, but they all persist in faith. I think this is great news for us all, because if we're honest, we all face times of uncertainty, such as COVID. The past two years alone with COVID have increased anxiety and depression levels worldwide by 25%, according to the World Health Organization. Escalating stress, fear, anger, worry, sadness, exhaustion, and numbness in 
Mercy Tower. Add to that the recent war in Ukraine, increasing cost of living expenses, the price of gas skyrocketing, and political unrest. Just to list a few of the major stressors in our society right now, we too find ourselves in the garden just struggling to remember how it felt to be on that mountaintop at peace with God. But David, we seek to see God's face, to know where God is right now in the midst of it all. I'm reminded of Exodus 33 when Moses too sought to see the face of God. He was challenged with fear and doubt as God had tasked him to lead the Israelites to the promised land. He called out to God in his distress, and he failed to see God's face. God's response was different, I'm sure, than what Moses expected. However, it was still powerful. God tells Moses he will place him in the cleft of the rock and cover him with his hand. God's goodness and glory will then pass him by. After removing his hand, Moses will then be able to see God's backside. Dr. Jim Flanning, pastor emeritus at First Baptist Church Richmond, said he thinks this is an analogy for how we still see God at work in our lives. So often we want to see God's face and to know what God is doing right now. For whatever reason, though, God seems to see, to say, while you can't fully see what I'm doing in the moment, one day you'll be able to look back and to see where my footprints have been and what I've been doing. Isn't that so true? Oftentimes when we look back at a situation with perspective, we can see how God has been at work in a way that we could never see it clearly when analyzing the situation in the present. I wonder if that was true for David too. Were he ever able to look back, see how God had been working in his life much more clearly than he could see in the present when he longed to see God's face? I wish we knew exactly what was happening in David's life as he wrote this psalm. It's impossible to figure out, but as enemies, adversaries, false witnesses, and the violent men he references were present in many periods of his life. Regardless of the situation that prompted David's penmanship of this second passage of scripture, Richard Stern, professor of homiletics at St. Nimrod University of Theology in Indiana, is convinced that some people who read this psalm think the order of the verses should be flipped. They argue that David should have started out with his wavering faith and his longing for hope and then switch over and conclude the psalm with a strong statement of conviction. This would show how faith ought to work, they say, helping to grow from doubt to certainty as their faith matures. Stern challenges this thought, however. He argues that there's great wisdom in how David has laid out this psalm. His words are good, strong, hopeful, with articulated intention, as we often do, much like our New Year's resolutions. There's great hope, but that hope quickly withers under the pressure of our daily challenges, our lack of discipline, strength, or resilience.
the outside world. As we come down off the mountain and move further away into the everyday life of the valley, it's hard to hold on to the confidence that I am in Asheville. Life is complicated. The challenges are many. And sometimes it seems the face of God is nowhere to be found. Stern encourages us not to lose hope, though. For this psalm is not about how God does or does not answer our prayers from the battle. His glory is replete with patience, of trust, of the endurance to wait on God when there are no signs that our prayers will be answered. Perhaps Lent then is the perfect time to study this passage. For the Lenten journey can give us insight into our souls, offering us time to look deeply within, to understand the uncertainty and the fears that trouble us. God's presence may not always seem as obvious to us when we journey during these weeks with Jesus to the cross. But Psalm 27 gives us a wonderful example of how real fear can live alongside honest faith. For in this passage, faith brings us both courage and fear, confidence and doubt. There's mountaintop experiences and the deep valley road. David lets us know that vigorous faith and animated doubt both exist in our spiritual journey. And they both insist that we take God seriously. We ask God right questions. And we depend on God in tangible ways. So on this Lenten Sunday, where are you? Are you on the mountaintop with David at the beginning of the passage? Or are you struggling to see God's face with David near the end of the passage? And if you are there, how do you move forward when God's face takes front before you? I think David points us in the right direction as the passage comes to an end. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord, he says. Wait, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. Even though he is in the midst of a season of struggle, hope still whispers to his soul, and it gives him the determination that he needs to wait on God. So as we journey forth in this season of Lent, let us too listen for whisperings of hope that encourages us to wait, look for God's goodness, and be strong.